Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Here we go, in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today, folks, we have the CEO of Beneficial State Bank. Please welcome Mr. Randall Leach. Randall, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you as well, sir. And so, um, you know, Randall, it's not often I get to meet someone from my hometown who is also a surfer. So you you're, you, were, you kind of grew up in the Del Mar area here in San Diego, beautiful San Diego, California. What was life like growing up for you? Did you have any ambitions, anything that you aspired to be when you were in San Diego? Um, yeah, it's amazing the connections here. And I have to ask, I apologize up front, but please don't call me sir. Um, you just keep it informal for me. Um, and part of that probably comes from my upbringing in, in Del Mar. Uh, so I basically was raised on the beach, uh, immersed in the water, um, you know, playing in the ocean, growing up surfing, um, just a, a wonderful, wonderful upbringing uh, in nature, really. And um, yeah, it, you know, as I got into high school, um, just got really uh, intrigued by business and um, just knew that was going to be sort of the path. And my dad was an entrepreneur. He worked as a CEO for uh, a civil engineering company for years and um, you know, real estate development was, uh, you know, his client base. And so just had a lot of exposure to it around, around the house and, um, just was always intrigued by it. 
Um, had no idea what my path would be, of course, but uh, um, I think that combination you know, started me on the court. And what intrigued you about banking, if you are intrigued about banking? I'm assuming being the CEO of an organization that, that lends money, <laughs> that's where it would be. But help me understand, what intrigued you first about banking and um, why pursue this career? Well, I, honestly, it, it really shifted. I think my my first um, sort of expectation, experience, and understanding about banking was, you know, I mean, it was sort of, you're sort of at the center of things. And uh, it's one of the things I really enjoyed is on the commercial banking side, uh, working with CFOs and CEOs, understanding their business and trying to help them you know, grow their business. Um, but my sort of first I don't know, pass of life, it, it was um, it was really taking more of the conventional approach, right? I mean, it was what I had learned from sort of the textbooks and um, that folks would go try and maximize the profit and, you know, maybe at the end of their career or, you know, later after they've accumulated a bunch of wealth, then give some away. Um, and it was just a very different model, very different thesis. And I had um, the opportunity to grow up uh, as a, you know, coming out of school, um, I was hired directly into a national bank, um, incredible training, you know, really um, very professional uh, approach to everything. Uh, and I learned a ton about the banking business. Um, but over time, I became, you know, just enamored with it. And um, I thought that what I was really looking for was to go do something entrepreneurial. Um, and so I tried to go do that. And I was not successful. That wasn't actually the right sort of stage of business for me to play at. Um, and it wasn't until I sort of got back to some of my roots and, you know, surfing and looking at the environment that I realized like, no, what I, what I really want to do is something that's aligned with my values. And so for me, there was this, I had this epiphany moment where um, I was actually sitting there um, in between roles and um, I had tried to do the startup. I looked, I had looked back at my career of, very successful at, at the bank that I was at. And I wanted something that took the financial principles, but that was more in line with my uh, my values of, on the environment and helping people. And I didn't honestly believe I could find that back in the conventional banking sector. And so I kind of sat there and I thought I was screwed. I'm like, like, how's this going to work? I'm going to have to compromise. I'm going to have to leave the things that matter most to me out because I can't go practitioner. And um, so then I said, well, wait a minute, maybe that's not the case. Let me go look around. And that's when I found a small bank that was starting to try and be the environmental bank. Um, and that time it was Shore Bank Pacific up in, of all places, Milwaukee, Washington. It's really not a money center <laughs> area. So I, I found them. I said, hey, let's, let's see if we can make this thing go. Um, and from that point, everything was different, right? Because everything was aligned with my values. And, you know, we were trying to build up a, a small bank, but it, and so we had sort of the growing pains and challenges of all that. But what really just a complete shift for me, it was that everything that we're, that I'm doing personally, my personal values can, can align with the, the work and the, and the business practice. And why do it any other way? I don't think there's, there's ever any going back for me. And, and so many people listening to this right now like feel that type of way about the conventional industry that they're in. You mentioned, if I'm hearing you right, you said I was disenamored with kind of the, the commercial banking 
uh, because it compromised my values. Can you like dive into that a little bit for me? What about conventional banking in terms of compromisation of your values are you alluding to? What was it specifically? Well, and, and I don't, um, I would say it was, it was beyond just banking. I mean, I think just, it was looking at capitalism, frankly, overall, right? And the, the focus on um, maximum growth, profit, you know, and just exclusively. And that's sort of what mattered and everything else sort of took second place. Um, and it was a distant second place. Um, and it just, um, it just felt out of balance to me. Um, and so honestly, it felt like living sort of two different lives. Like there's the life I'd have, you know, engaging with people, trying to um, help people go in the environment. And then you step out of that, literally go put on the suit and go into the corporate environment. And it was really, all right, we're here to, you know, gas and make money, right? Let's go. Um, and it's like, well, isn't there a way to blend them together, right? Where your success is not just financial, that it's really like also measured in how many people you can, you know, help or the best value you can give to them or that you're really helping the environment, not trying to seeing the environment as a resource that you can extract everything from for your own self-interest. Um, and so I think a lot of it was this shift of, um, I think there's just a lot of assumptions about out there about that, you know, you, you, you got to make you know, these decisions in your self-interest. Otherwise, you're you're missing out or you're, you're not competitive enough or something. But I, I, I don't believe that anymore. I, I really believe that you can focus on being sort of high performance, excel, do incredible, you know, like there's no wrong. There's there's not wrong with going in sort of good language, but just kicking ass and being high performance, either company, you know, bank, individual. Um, and in that, the performance is really about helping other people, um, doing the right thing, doing well by doing good. And yeah, you'll you'll make the money that you need to make um, if you're high performance and you're, you're doing it all well. Um, but it doesn't have to be like, let's just start with the money thing and only focus on that. Um, I think it's myopic. And, and I think you miss out on the intersection of things, interconnections, the interrelatedness of things. And there's this sort of holistic whole um, that is better, um, and there's opportunity in it. Uh, and you know, once I open myself up to that, then there's there's way more possibilities. There's way more, um, you know, just ways to add value or to, to create value. Uh, and so there's absolutely no reason that that I think people or companies need to be solely focused on, you know, profit and not focused on these other things and just, you know, wait to give it back at the end of the day or give a portion of it back that you can, you can do well uh, by doing good every day. And once you, once you sort of crack that nut, it's, it's invigorating. And uh, for me, it's just a whole different perspective. Well, and, and so many people can like, this resonates with so many people listening to this um, who are working nine to five, maybe working for a big organization are seeing their coworkers drop like flies because a new investor has come in. Uh, they're cutting the fat. They're looking at people as if they are just numbers. Uh, and certainly that people aren't, aren't dumb and they can really understand, you know, that's how they are being seen. And that's very demotivating, Stare devaluing for not just that individual, but the overall society. So I can really understand like the antithesis of this change for you, if I'm hearing you correctly, um, which, is kind of ties into the Milton Friedman's of the world to 
you know, the purpose of business is to be a business and maximize shareholder value, uh, which is really, I guess, dominated uh, a lot of the businesses in the 80s and the 90s. But here comes a new movement. Here comes a new movement that says, I don't believe that that is the, the maxim of business. And here is a system, capitalism. And like an iPhone, oftentimes it needs an update. To you, what is this update of capitalism and what does that look like? If I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, I think there's, there is a, uh, a movement um, that, uh, and there is this um, broader realization that, all right, um, there, are, there have been things that have been externalized or the folks have, you know, a lot of businesses or approaches have been um, um, purely focused on the, on the self-interest. And, and that has been very effective. Obviously, we've built this you know, huge, amazing economy, um, and there's been a ton of success in that. Um, but I think folks are realizing that that is not the one and only way. And actually, there is a, a very rewarding way. And that's where folks that are you know, investing in sustainability, you know, sort of the B Corp movement, folks that are you know, really approaching this with um, not, not just sort of the hard, but the real business discipline. It's, it's, you know, really is capitalism at work, right? I mean, it's like, well, wait a minute. If, you know, some are coming to this and saying, for, for me to compete, I do need to consider all my stakeholders, right? I mean, you saw the BlackRock letter a couple of years ago. I mean, I think that was an eye-opening for a lot of people is that, you know, that's an example of somebody that isn't doing it for, as a stated position, isn't doing it, you know, for the love in his heart, right? He's doing it because this is just good business sense. And so, okay, that's a huge shift in folks, you know, the evolution of capitalism forcing that type of player, that type of organization to compete very differently. Um, at the same time, you have lots of folks that are approaching this that like, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. I, I, I need to go about it differently. I'm not gonna go sacrifice, you know, the environment, my employees um, and all my, stakeholders, my suppliers and vendors, just, just to get, you know, maximize my power position and maximize my own personal wealth at the cost to them. That like, why don't we lift each other up together? And, um, and because it's right for them. And so I think there's a lot of different reasons that folks are starting to, um, why, why this movement is gaining uh, momentum. Um, but it does, you know, people do come in from different places. And I think that's, it's been amazing sort of you know, sort of social experiment uh, <laughs> to watch, right, is what brings folks to this movement, if you will, um, that, um, and, you know, for me, one of the things um, that I have enjoyed, you know, position of being a bank, being able to talk to sort of the capitalists that are coming to this, as I, as I do get to sit across the table from them, I get to see their financials, I get to hear their origin story too, all the time, I love it, um, and, um, you know, people are on, you know, various stages of their journey. And it's just a matter of meeting them where they're at and, and helping them uh, go, you know, give them the resources to go forward. And um, from, so for my seat, I, I just feel like it's not, it's not turning back. I mean, there's, there are some, I do want to um, come back to one of the ones that you mentioned um, that there are some that are, that are, you know, not, not really doing it authentically. Um, and so you mentioned a situation uh, that we see quite a bit now, um, and it, it happens a lot. I'll use an example of the type of company 
um, fintechs, not to, you know, I'm not trying to tarnish all of them, but, but we see this happen a lot, is that you get, um, you know, often the model is somebody's got a new product or a feature, um, put a bunch of equity capital at it, and you're going to go for a, a high growth breakthrough business model. And um, they're trying to do things different. They're trying to disrupt. Oftentimes, they've got a really strong ethos for you know sustainability of some sort. Trying to take care of the people. Um, they're they're the new thing. They're sort of you know bank 2.0 or 4, 5.0, right? And they're sleepwalking it. But what will happen is we see this a lot. Is that their values might have started out pure from the founder or whatever, but when the capital comes in, the capital at the end of the day can overrule it and say, mm. hey, look. We just need to grow. And so you can go for your, you know, your values and stuff, but sort of cute if you don't give me my return. Um, and so there, there is this um, more extreme sort of pronunciation of this contrast of, you know, pure stir, uh, shareholder returns and, uh, and the values. And so we'll see that um, pressure. Some are able to hold up to it and some are not. Uh, and so uh, we've, you know, we've seen that happen plenty of times and it's, and it's unfortunate. And so, you know, for, for it to work, you know, it all has to kind of fit the business model, of the company, the, the type of capital rider, the time horizons people are looking for the change, the amount of change that people are looking for, right. And there, there's, there has to be the right fit. So like for us as a, as a bank, we're, we're a very different bank. One of the things that's very that works for us is that everything is aligned, right? So we're um, we're a B Corp, um, so we're you know part of our charter is triple bottom line. Um, we're we're really our our mission is to help more people, to help people more, and do right by the environment. So we're you know all about triple bottom line, not just maximizing profit. We've got uh, uh, our equity investors um, are in it for the long haul. Um, you know, they're, they do expect us to have you know, basically close to market returns over the long haul. Um, so do our regulators. We have to operate in the regulatory framework. We don't get a, you know, operate outside of the regulatory framework. That's illegal, right? You can't do that. So our, our model is clearly to, you know, work within the system to move the needle as much as we can um, and still be, you know, healthy, you know, financially uh, safe and sound. Um, we're still going to be high growth for a bank, not explosive growth like you see in non-banks, but they're pretty high growth. Um, but the real, you know, uh, purpose is to just to help people, and um, we'll do that um, and and get sufficient returns. Um, but what we won't take our eye off is making sure that we've got you know community returns, so the social impact, environmental well-being. Um, it's it's an imperative for us, um, and so for us. That model of alignment with our, our business charter, with our mission, um, that we are, we know that, you know, we, we're not giving money away. We're, we're a lender and we have to make good loans and get repaid to remain safe and sound, right? So everything for us is designed to fit with this purpose. And so long, long way around to say that there's a lot of businesses that are trying to do it, but they're, they're organizational design isn't aligned with their purpose. It isn't aligned with their ultimate mission. And they're going to hit some kind of, you know, inflection point later where it's just, it's, they're going to outstep one of the, one of the bounds. Uh, and it's, you know, so it's something that they have to think about, not just from the beginning, but manage to every step of the way. 
you know, it's funny that, you know, you have to like explain good business ethics and principles to people <laughs> as if, uh, you know, assuming that people aren't doing it already and, and should be doing it right. Like, like I thought this whole problem when I started like looking to B Corp was like, oh, maybe transparency is the issue, right? Like banks could be reporting better. Maybe we have better, better regulations into the mix. But as you alluded to, you have these organizations who claim, you know, they're, they're, the best ethics but until that money hits until that capital hits their organizational design keeps them from restraining them of thinking long term versus short term which is um what i believe now uh, is is really the crux of this issue that we're in is is that the responsibility the fiduciary responsibility it seems like it appears like a beneficial state bank and many of the benefit corporations are to maximize really the stakeholders and consider stakeholders such as the planet, consider stakeholders such as your employees, communities that you live in, the communities that you serve, as opposed to the investor who is demanding um, you cut the fat, increase your margins, and do everything at all costs to maximize that shareholder value. Is that kind of a is that in alignment with kind of your thinking in terms of why beneficial state bank is not only doing this but also differentiating themselves in the marketplace yeah yeah for sure i mean i think on a organizational design i mean any kind of misalignment is is you know going to cause a, a problem at some point and so that's what has worked obviously with the original versions of you know um the the classic is if folks are aligned around a common purpose of just profit then as long as they're both you know, both stakeholders are making money hand over fist. They're it's powerful alignment, right? They're they're done. Um, but if things go out of whack or they don't have other uh, things that are aligned, then that relationship is going to un unravel in some way if if the profits aren't there. And so it can be harder to get alignment um, with. You know, if you add different sort of vectors that you're trying to align all at the same time and keep them all in alignment as you go. Um, and so it can um, be harder maybe to set up, um, but you, but once you get it set up, I think it gives you more resiliency and it actually, I think, can give you, you know, a deeper, more well-rounded and stabler relationship business model um, over, over the long haul. You know, that, that's sort of our experience. So like for us, you know, our... Our relationship with our depositors is is very different than sort of the, the classic. Like we're we're not out there just trying to advertise the highest deposit rates, um, you know, to try and you know that's not the only premise for the relationship. Yes, we have to pay a competitive and fair rate to them, um, but they are here because they and we have recognized that the deposit base is a way for, essentially for them to vote in line with their values. Right, is that you know they're they've got a mission, they've got things that they're they're wanting to accomplish in their personal or business life. They have found us as a partner. Our values align. They know that when they go to sleep, their money is at work. That's in line with their values, and it's not contravening their values. And so then we go and we find businesses that you know are nonprofits or projects that are going to be good for the community, good environmentally, you know, uplifting people, um, and we'll go put that money to go to work. Right, and so we have against this alignment through the chain, the stakeholder chain, um, that that's different. It's not just based on economics. And it's for me, it you know, I think if you look at the example, you see it a lot, like in in food, 
um, I think there is this shift that it, it's similar, right? Is that um, as as the shift that happened with with the economy, right? As you as you look at how everything scaled, like uh, one of the initial value propositions was sort of commoditize everything is to sort of break. You know, there's 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 some asset, and you sort of break it into all these different components, and you sort of focus on one of them and maximize. You know, and sort of the concept of securitization kind of right is that like you're you're really going deep on one facet of this. Um, you saw that with food food production uh, as well, and so now what you're getting, and I'll use the supermarket example, is that so now when you go to the grocery store, you can choose to just to go get like the cheapest food or coffee or whatever you want. Um, that's sort of just really optimized for that price point. Or you can go to the one that is more like the fair trade, that like the, it's really about the story of, of the farmer and, and their family and the lands that they were raised on. And all of that, that is, it's more than just a marketing story, but if it's, if it's the real deal, you know, it's authentically, you're, you're buying all that too. And so what I think has happened um, that we've also seen at the same time is that that folks are bringing back a lot more of those attributes. They're sort of rebundling or repackaging these different attributes back into the product that they are offering. Um, and so, you know, essentially we're doing that at the bank too. So rather than our, you know, our business model isn't to just like push their, as a financial intermediary, like we're not trying to just push our depositors and, and borrowers and keep them apart and just try and maximize our power position to increase our spread in the middle. That's not our design. Um, that's a classic bank model. Um, but for us, it's like, no, let's bring our depositors in, share what we're trying to do on the loan side and what we're very importantly not doing, right? So that we can align with their values. We'll share that with our depositors. Or our goal is really sort of like to help bring people back together and, and reconnect these values based on, um, or in, instead of just focused on, you know, the rate or just the pure economic piece, that there is value based on, you know, what our depositors want from a mission. Uh, from, um, you know, the purposes that they're trying to achieve. Um, and just as that there's these amazing things that our borrowers are trying to do, that we try and, you know, we try and connect them. So it's not just about the economics. It's, it's, it's a broader and deeper connection. And, and those broader and deeper connections, certainly, I, I believe, is a, is a competitive advantage for you. You know, you're going to attract those values-aligned customers, as you eloquently put it, um, over a traditional bank that may um, neglect these values and may look at them as another traditional customer. So it's a great business model that you all have set up. Uh, Randall, uh, you know, now that we've kind of learned about the antithesis for kind of how you got into this space, why you got into this space, and, and how you kind of see the bank's role in this paradigm shift, I want to talk about like your role as the CEO and you really like study this mindset, study the roles and responsibilities, because I still think the CEO role is some, something that's very ambiguous. Uh, a lot of people don't really understand um, the uniqueness of this role, um, of the responsibilities uh, that you have. If you had to think about it, Randall, about like your overall responsibility as a CEO, like what would be in your job description? Um. Well, I do have a job description. The board has done a great job on, on all that. Um, so this is all paraphrasing, right? Um, really, um, you know, just to, to help the organization thrive is, you know, I think the um, um, one of the primary tasks and, and under that, um, there's quite a bit that goes into it, right? You know, sort of steward of, of the people 
um, on our team to help make sure that we've got the right people in place doing the right work and they're successful and they've got not a rewarding experience. Um, that you know you've identified ways that you can get after your your, your mission and your strategy. And, and again, for us, I mean, I'm grateful. I, I love that our our, our mission is, is you know literally just to help more people and help them more, right? And and do right by the environment. So um, it's you know that's that's how we measure success, right? So it's a matter of okay, how do we design our businesses, our products, our delivery, um, so that we can you know maximize that and um, that value proposition. Um, so um, really looking at the business lines as a as a whole, um, are you know are we in the right businesses? Are we um, providing access in the right points? Are we growing them? Are we allocating resources the right way based on the what we can deliver and what we need to deliver for the community? Um, so a lot of it comes back to, you know, sort of resource allocation um, to, you know, setting, um, helping set the priorities of, of, you know, what we really need to focus on. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of breadth. And, and, you know, I think the CEO role does vary quite a bit based on, you know, size of the organization, complexity of the organization. Um, you know, there's some that you have line of sight to everything, and there's others where you're just entirely reliant on uh, teams to go do things, and you're really just focused on big picture um, direction setting. Um, so for us, that's actually been an evolution. I'd say, you know, five, six years ago, you know, I had line of sight pretty much everywhere. Uh, now we've kind of crossed that point where, you know, it's not really the case anymore. And it's really about, you know, helping build teams that can go after um, you know, the, the goal of, of helping people. And I think you threw in a really nice adjective there. It's like this evolution. Everything is evolving uh, in your business. Businesses are living organisms. It's a corporation and corpus. It's, it's a group of people, uh, right, that, that you're running, you're prioritizing, you're allocating these resources to and for. Part of evolution and similar kind of a, to what we were just talking about earlier is you really grow through those difficult times. You learn from mistakes. You learn from a banking collapse and you need to provide a new model that doesn't make that happen again. Um, you learn from uh, being tired and exhausted. And those are the times you really push yourself to become better uh, and, and lead a, a more effective organization. When it comes to these lessons, Randall, that you've been able to learn um, as a CEO, what have been some of the strongest and key lessons that you continue to remind yourself of on a daily basis to make sure that you can execute um, for the team effectively? Well, that sort of gave me pause. There's been, I mean, I think we've all been through the school of hard knocks here in the last uh, few years. Um, um, but, you know, it's also just trying to think about it over the last 20 or so. Um, Gosh, there, there's so much. I think, you know, one of the things that really um, with the pandemic and then, you know, just sort of life circumstances too, one of the things that, that really kind of woke me up was this, um, and this is a very specific example, but the, the amount of trauma that people have, um, and I know it might sound like not, not the answer you might've been expecting, but um, just it, um, so I, you know, experienced some personal trauma with some family circumstances, but I started to see it in others um, and really hear their stories. And, um, and I realized how much 
people are carrying and bringing into their work. Like there's some of the stuff you, you just cannot, you know, leave at the door. And um, once I started, once my eyes were sort of were open to how much is out there and how much folks are sort of holding, um, it really helped me better um, understand what people were really going through. And, you know, in many cases, how they were showing up or how they could succeed or not, uh, or why they were struggling at, at work. And, um, and so for me, it wasn't just like the focus on the extreme of, of a trauma situation, but I, I do now look for like sort of trauma, whether it's business or personal induced, um, that um, it, it, it really can um, shape and, and, and limit not just an individual, but how a team interacts. And so really trying to create a safe environment, emotionally safe environment for folks. Um, and um, so that they can show up and do the work that they really want to go do. And so um, for me, like one of the things that was, a, I mean, this was a, just a really significant shift was, was, was really this is sort of an awareness, um, an acknowledgement, um, willingness to sort of engage in, in folks uh, and give them space for that. Because um, before it wasn't, it was like, you know, again, part of this whole growth for me, there's so many lessons, but is, you know, always stay learning, always um, um, try and adapt. Um, but um, I don't know, there's, there's just, um, yeah, sorry. No, no, that's, it's okay. And, and I think that, um, you know, uh, we're constantly learning on a day-to-day -day basis. So articulating those thoughts and trying to put it into a sentence is, is really difficult for just a human being to do. It's like, even when we have an answer for things, it's still surface level. It's really not thought out. And sometimes we say things as an answer just to have an answer when it really we haven't thought about that answer um, because it's it's ambiguous and it's always evolving as we've kind of mentioned before. I'm trying to think about um, you know this this trauma aspect and and bringing your full selves to work, especially during this these past two years and working remotely. You cannot leave the door. You are not getting out of your environment that that trauma yeah. has happened in. What are some of the key things like you're preparing for and you have to like constantly remind yourself of when you're in a meeting um, so that you are aware as you alluded to? Well, I, I think, you know, it is just harder to, you know, especially if you're on the video, but even if you're on person, I mean, it's just part of it is there's just a recognition that you can't really understand what people are really going through in their in their own lives and so they may be you know acting um, or performing in a certain way that isn't necessarily their highest and their best self or as a team um, because of some other circumstance and so it's 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 really trying to be more aware of that so you can help set the environment set the conditions for success so that they can bring the best that they can bring at that moment um, and it's sort of this um, having probably more adaptability and more compassion, um, you know, I think it's been really the, the key. Um, and because you just can't know, you can't, you can't assume. And so I think it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's really tricky because there's sometimes, you know, sort of business just has to get done, right? There's deadlines and timelines, you know, in the banking environment that happens all the time. Um, and so how do you, how do you create space for, for the people um, you know, for whatever that they're going through so that they can, you know, best get done what they need to get done. Um, so that's really where I was trying to go with that. Um, but, you know, I think 
again, I, this is one of the essential parts as a leader is um, always be always be learning, always be adapting. Um, and um, you know, the other piece too for for us, you know, I will say um, as a bank, um, the there's basically it comes out of people, you know, money and processes or, or systems, right? I mean, that's sort of the building blocks of, of any bank. And so everybody's got money and sort of math equation to figure out how to optimize that. And, you know, that's pretty straightforward, really. Um, systems, those are always changing with technology and as you bring people. Um, so it really comes back to, you know, people. That really is the main deal. It is what matters. It is what adds the most value. Um, it's the most rewarding. Um, and so, you know, the more you can spend time and energy to help create an environment for, for your people, which, you know, I've got a lot to learn on, our team's got a lot to learn on that, but it's really what it comes down to is, is how do you, how do you help people? It's really what it comes down to. Well, I like how you have an intention on awareness of creating boundaries uh, in an environment to help your organization thrive, as you put it. I'm interested in the mindset that you have adapted uh, to continually uh, be focused on this to achieve a, a successful outcome for your organization. Um, in terms of mindset or daily routines, disciplines that, that you've um, really ingrained into your, uh, your daily life, do you have any that you like sticking to that have been helpful? Um, well, on the discipline side, I mean, I think for me, um, it's had to be a little bit more flexibility and, and adaptability as we've gone, especially as we've gone through COVID, um, as we've been going through a growth period and, and redesigning the organization. Um, so I think the discipline comes to um, look for, you know, what's working and then really look for what's not working and then figure out, you know, how how can you how can you amplify the strengths and then mitigate weaknesses? And so it's it's not sort of discipline in terms of a routine, but as a maybe that's more of a philosophy, but it's really trying to bring that into every every opportunity that you can. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's um well, question, things, question for you, Randall, to, to go yeah. go on to that. Um when you when you're talking about like amplifying your your strength. Um, and, and focusing like on those weaknesses, like what are some of the questions that you're asking your team or you're asking the company uh, to make sure that you're asking the right questions to, to provide the right solutions? Well, I, I tend to actually start with, you know, trying to listen to them first of what, what do they think is going on? What is their assessment? Um, so um, like maybe take a step back i mean so for me what i i do try and do is like every day i try and check myself for and i sort of take this inventory of like all right where am i sort of physically emotionally intellectually spiritually sure. like what kind of state am i in trying to get an awareness of that so i know that when i go into a meeting or a situation what am i bringing um because that is going to have an impact and so sometimes i can identify something where i can address other times like oh that's just the way it is today it's gonna you know it's gonna be this flavor or this attribute is really strong. So um, when I, you know, I try and come in and, and see where people are at and check in with them and, and listen to see where, where they say they're, they're at and where it looks like, okay, I might see something else that they don't. Um, and so is there something that I can do or that we can do together that will help them 
you know, amplify strength or, or mitigate a weakness. Uh, and then for me, it's always asking like, well, what, what can I do? Especially as, you know, in my role, is there things that I can do to, um, you know, um, help them get after something they're trying to get after to stop doing something that I'm doing or something else somebody else is doing is, you know, what, what can I do for them? So it's not always just about, you know, here's a, here's a direction, here's an order, here's a command or something. It's not at all sort of the approach. I'm, I, I definitely believe more in the more servant leadership type model of what, you know, trying to identify what folks need to be to be successful. Because look, they're brilliant people, um, passionate, um, they've got you know, certainly outnumbered, right? So let's let's have them uh, figure out how to do it the best way that, that they can. So my job is to just sort of help help guide them and, and give them the opportunity to go do it uh, and try and help, you know, address the limitations for them. Well, Randall, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. I've learned a lot really about the antithesis of why you got into this the paradigm shift that needs to happen, how Beneficial State Bank is best positioned from a design point of view um, to think more long term. And then also just a little bit more about self-awareness, more about how you like to show up uh, and, and uh, be prepared before you go into that meeting and what you need to be aware of. So it's been a pleasure having you on. Let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader? Well, it's a fantastic question. Um, I don't think I've got like sort of a, a scripted definition, really. Um, what I think of a like truly a, a leader, you know, somebody that that's authentic, um, that is really um, trying to help others get to a, a common goal. Um, that you know will sort of face the the hard truths and be able to be really adaptable. Um, but no matter what, it was always focused on on the solution, right? Not you know looking where they want to go, uh, not at the obstacles. You have to quickly assess the you know, risks and challenges and everything. But at the end of the day, you have to look where you want to go. Um, and um, so, in that, I would make sure you know. Compassionate right, um, is, is essential, uh, but for me, every time you know I think about leadership, for me the, 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 there's always one word that it comes back to, and you know for me it's it's love. It really, it's like you know that's that's the defining uh, theme for me. Um, it's really if, if um, sort of love in the heart, and you're really trying to do things for the right reasons, and you're passionate, just really trying to help me make something good happen and amazing things can happen. So <clears throat> those are the leaders that I'm attracted to that I that I want to follow. Um, that's what's inspirational for me. For Randall Leach, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, lead with love and all this ones. Thank you. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all 
the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to realtors.com today, you're gonna get the first 30 days for free where you're gonna be able to access all of our magazines, courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.